I, I will tell you this, one reason why I think this will be much shorter. Um, Tuesday night, <laughs> Brother Goff just texted, texted, praise the Lord. So, so I did hear from somebody listening online. So that's great. Um, Tuesday night, I presented to you the biblical and scriptural aspect of uh, what an apostolic service is really all about. And tonight, I'm going to take it more from the practical and pastoral viewpoint. And um, so I'm not going to be loading up on scriptures tonight. I feel like I did that sufficiently Tuesday night. And I really am just taking some of the points from Tuesday night's lesson, which I um, did my best to prove from Scripture. I'm going to be taking those points. This, the outline that I'm using tonight is directly uh, taken from Tuesday night's lesson, uh, just taking out uh, some of the more generic statements, taking out uh, a lot of the Scripture references, and um, then just trying to add some clarification for the sake of those uh, who are actively involved in um, in the process of conducting and or leading an apostolic service. And I said the other night, and I say again, that... Um, this lesson um, is something that I had to put together for the sake of the men in Africa. And uh, these are principles that, you know, I, I had to sit down and think about, pray about, consider, because I wanted to teach them the right outlook and the proper focus of what an apostolic service is compared to what they do. Um, and really, I, I think sometimes we're really spoiled because we don't know what's really going on out there and even what's cropping or creeping in to the apostolic movement. But I'm going to tell you more and more church services are being geared to entertain the people. Even in apostolic circles, it's more about entertainment than it is about a move of God. And, um, and this is the reason why uh, some of you, no doubt in this electronic age we live in, you've seen it on YouTube or Facebook or somewhere. You've, you've seen uh, apostolic, quote-unquote, apostolic services where uh, all the house lights are off and it's all kinds of colored lights all over the platform and sometimes even smoke coming up from the platform. And, and um, you know, to us, that's just such a foreign concept. That's not church at all. That's, it, it, it looks more like a nightclub. But the reason for that is because, unfortunately, so many of the people attending those services have been raised on entertainment. And um, their, their lives revolve around being entertained. And, um, and so churches are trying to accommodate that entertainment mindset rather than trying to push through and have a real move of God. And um, I don't want that to ever be the case here. And I'm not trying to be judgmental or overly critical of others. I'm just telling you that my desire for this church is that we go so much deeper than just some kind of an entertainment atmosphere. And, and even some of the, you know, I, I saw clip of a service and people talking about oh what a powerful move of God and, and, and honestly what I saw was not powerful the music was, was blaring and the people were bouncing 
mean, I don't know any other way to describe it. They're just bouncing. There's no real worship going on. It's just really jiving to the music. And, and it's all about entertainment. And this has been going on for a number of years until it has become very pervasive in the oneness ranks. Uh, many, many years ago, I attended a meeting uh, right here in the Kansas City area, and they turned all the house lights off, had a few little spotlights, and brought out drums, and they had, I don't know, six or eight guys lined up with drums, and they just, just pounded a beat. No music, there was nothing besides the pounding of these drums, but they choreographed the beating of the drum to where they were, you know, one would squat down and the other would reach over and hit his neighbor's drum. And then he'd stand up and the other would squat and he'd hit his neighbor's drum. And it was just, it was a big show. And, and, and you know, I've taught on music in this church and the fact of the matter is that the beat is the most carnal aspect of music. It is the part that appeals to the flesh. And that's all that was going on that night was just a beat. There's no music. There's no melody. There's no harmony. It was strictly a beat. And, and I'm telling you that did not elicit worship. Uh, it might have worked some folks into a frenzy but it didn't elicit worship, and there's a big difference. And so I am concerned, and I wanted those men that I'm trying to raise up in Africa to have a real understanding of what an apostolic service is like. And so in that process, it really began to dawn on me that, you know, it doesn't hurt for me to teach this very same thing at home. And I focused it there more to the pastor and his oversight of the service. And so in teaching what I did Tuesday night and then tonight, I've had to take those principles and adapt them. Uh, Tuesday nights, adapt it to the saints, and then tonight, adapt it to the leaders within the worship service. And so um, that's, that's where all of this was born from. So let me, I will say some things tonight that I said in Tuesday night service. But again, what I'm wanting to do is to take those points and expand on them for your sake. And I want to do it as, as quickly as I can. We mentioned on Tuesday night that uh, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 14 and 40 that all things need to be done decently and in order. And the word decently means according to proper decorum. It comes from a root word that means it's well formed. The phrase in order means with a regular arrangement or with a fixed succession or reflecting official dignity. And so obviously if everything is going to be done decently in order, there's got to be some kind of arrangement there's got to be some sort of fixed succession. It's got to reflect God's dignity in the service. And I said the other night and say again, it doesn't mean that we are cutting out a move of the Spirit. And I think all of you know that, that a move of the Spirit is paramount in what we want to accomplish. But we do need to be sensitive to know whether it's a move of the Spirit or whether things are getting out of hand. Uh, I was in a service many, many years ago where the, the Lord really, I mean, when the service started moving, it wasn't here, another state, another place. I was not the pastor. Um, there was a real move of the Spirit that started in that service. But there were other spirits that began to work in that service. And um, I'm going to tell you, I watched a man in that service supposedly worshiping God, put his arms to his side and slither on his stomach under the pews, just like a snake. There were several things that happened in that service 
that were far, far from a move of the Holy Ghost. Now, it started out a real move of the Holy Ghost. But because no one kept it within that official dignity mindset, it was allowed to just devolve into utter chaos. And chaos is not the will of God. I could tell you several things about that service, and it's been so many years ago. You know, of course, that's the thing about getting old. You remember a lot from your younger days. It's yesterday and last week and last month that kind of started getting foggy. Um, But in that same service, I watched a young lady that was supposedly drunk on the spirit walk up on the platform and and grab the preacher's tie and start playing with his tie while he's standing behind the pulpit. And I'm telling you, I saw so many things happen in that service. And, and I know we've not seen anything that extreme around here. But I'm just telling you, it's easy to cross a line if we don't stay sensitive to the Holy Ghost and if we are not able to try the Spirit's and know whether they are of God or not. This is one reason why you, as singers, as musicians, as as service leaders, I'm telling you, you need to be praying. The Bible says, covet earnestly the best gifts, right? Right? That's okay to say amen here tonight. Um, The Bible says to covet earnestly the best gifts. My old pastor used to say, the best gifts are the ones that are needed for that moment. And uh, that made a lot of sense to me. Uh, and I know there are some that, that Paul said, you know, he said, covet to prophesy. Um, there are some that obviously are important to us. But I think that, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the best gift in a particular service is the one that's needed at that moment. And, and if we are to covet That's a strong word. That word covet is a strong word. It's not, well, I'd kind of like to have. Right? I mean, it's, it's like a consuming desire. And I'm saying to you as singers, as musicians, as service leaders, you need to covet the discerning of spirits. If you've not been here when I've taught on the gifts of the Spirit, you might want to search the um, website and find where I taught on that uh, because it's not the gift of discernment, as is often said. It's the gift of the discerning of spirits. And what that gift does is it allows you to tell whether a spirit is of God or of the devil or of human origin. There are some things that happen are just human spirits. Uh, some of you have heard me tell the story. Brother, um, Brother Tommy Kraft, I believe it was, many years ago, uh, there was a man that came into his church that, you know, they started praying with him. And boy, he was, he was writhing and, and snarling and carrying on. And, and this group of young men got in there and wrestled him to the ground and they're standing over him and they're rebuking him and they're holding him down and, and they're, they're screaming Jesus' name and they're doing everything they can to get the devil out of this man. And this went on for quite a while until Brother Kraft finally walked over, knelt down, whispered a few words in the man's ear and the man got up and walked out. And all these young men are just standing, their mouths are hanging open and they're just, they're looking like, wow, what a man of God. I mean, we've, done, we've been trying for an hour now and couldn't get the devil out of him. He whispers a few words and it's gone. And so when things settled down, they said, Brother Kraft, what did you say to that man? What words did you use? He said, it was very simple. He said, I just whispered in his ear, if you don't stop this, I'm calling the police. But it wasn't the devil. The man was just wanting attention. And you can't cast a human spirit out. 
So we've got to know. And, and listen, I'm telling you, sometimes when we're leading a service or we're singing, we're playing, sometimes in, in our own excitement, it's easy for us to move from the spirit of God into our own human spirit. It really is. And if we're not careful, sometimes even demonic forces can feel very close to the real thing. And it can confuse our minds. And we've got to have the discerning of spirits in what we're doing. Everything's got to be done decently in order. Now, do, do you remember, do you remember the fourfold purpose of a church service? Anybody remember some of them? You had your hand halfway up, Brother Hilton. What? Okay, give God the glory. That's, that's number one. That's extremely important that we give God glory in every service. That's the very first purpose of every church service is that God needs to get the glory. And listen to me. This is important to musicians, singers, and service leaders. It is important that you remember. God may have given you a talent but he gave it to glorify himself. That talent is not there so you can show everyone else how good you are. I I used to, I still know the man, but uh, years ago I went to church with a man that um, played the piano. And I'm telling you, he had some of the most fancy runs that he could put in, in, in those songs, but the problem was, he didn't have a very good sense of timing. And he'd throw those runs into that song and throw everybody off. Um, you know, be careful that what you're doing is still giving glory to God and not pulling the attention to yourself. I've seen this with singers sometimes, that, that they, you know, they, they want to do all kinds of vocal calisthenics and while they're singing, you know, make their voices do all kinds of ups and downs and loop-de-loops and, and what have you. And, and it may sound pretty, but, but at what point do you start receiving the glory rather than God getting the glory? And this is where we have to be careful because he will not share his glory with another. And no flesh should glory in his presence, right? We'll talk more about that in a minute. All right, that's number one is to give glory to God. What's number two? Reach the lost. Somebody paid attention the other night. I'm gonna have you reading, I'm gonna have you reading for me more often. Uh, to reach the lost is number two. And, and I'm telling you, we, we've got to be sensitive. Now, I haven't said much about this, and this is a good time to say it, and it's not in my notes. But, you know, generally speaking, for me, for years, I was the, the service leader. In fact, for years, my wife was the organist. And I was service leader, song leader, offering taker-upper, um, preacher. Yeah. Um... For years, that was the case. And, and generally speaking, not every time, but generally speaking, I, I, I kind of had, you know, this, this talks about having a, an arrangement or a fixed succession. Um, to me, Sunday night service is high church. And I want every Sunday night service to be as high as it can be. In, in fact, I, I tell people, here's, here's the thing you've got to know to our worship leaders, uh, those that are leading the service. Know this. It is much easier for the preacher to bring a service down if it's up too high than it is for him to bring it up if it's down too low. Does that make sense? In other words, for, for a Sunday night service, I want it to be high church. That's, that ought to be the focus. Now, if God really speaks to you, 
to sing the old rugged cross or something like that on a Sunday night, fine. But make sure it's God. Make sure it's God. Generally speaking, I want Sunday night to be as high as it can get. Um, but I was, I was headed somewhere. That's the way that I've felt about it for years. Um, but many years ago, I remember uh, when I was working with Brother Wayne McLean in Houston, he asked me to lead this, the song service on a Sunday night. And Sunday night there was always high church. It was, it, was, it was an exciting service, a service to look forward to. But that Sunday night, I really felt impressed to sing, um, have the congregation sing, this is my story, this is my song. Now, that's not a fast, high church song. But as we sang it, I could feel the Holy Ghost moving. And, and I remember stopping and talking and making some statements that night and talking about God being able to heal and, and how that God had raised up my grandmother when the doctors had, had said she was going to die that night. And God gave her more time. And, and, and I mean, the Holy Ghost was moving. And after service, my wife and I went to Burger King. It's amazing these details I can remember. I wish I could remember this about, about current history, but, but we went into Burger King. We had an evangelist that night, Brother Tim Copeland, and we went into Burger King, walked in, and there was Brother McLean and Brother Copeland. And Brother McLean looked at me, and he said, he said, well, he said, I didn't know prophets ate at Burger King. And I didn't even know what he was talking about. And then he started telling me, there was a woman that had called the church and ended up coming to service that night that had been, had been given a short time to live and she came into that service in need of something from God and he said, every word you said and everything that you did tonight told her story and God evermore ministered to that woman that night. This is what I'm saying. We've got to be sensitive to the Spirit so that every service, we are number one, glorifying God, and number two, reaching for the lost. And God knows what's going to get the lost person's attention. All right? Now, generally, generally speaking, and I'm, I'm much more open, I, I'm, I'm not, this is not locked in, but the way that I've done it in the past is, is that Sunday morning, I know, it's going to be teaching time. And so a lot of times I would just, that's when I would sing the slow songs. That's, that's when I'd put together a, a slower song list. And then Sunday night, well, I want it up high and fast and, and furious. And Thursday night, somewhere in between. But, but uh, I've watched some of you, and, and you've, you've done fast songs on Sunday morning, fast songs on Tuesday nights, and, um, and it's worked well. Because it's been the mind of God. So I'm not telling you you have to follow that same thing that I've always followed, all right? What I am telling you is keep the lost in mind. Don't just come to church with a song list of what you like. And I'm a little ahead of myself. But don't just pick out the songs you like and sing those. Pray. The schedule is out before the month ever starts. At, at the very least, you've got a day or two before the first service that you're going to be leading. Um, pray and find the mind of God for that service. Listen, it ought, it ought to work together with the preaching. There ought, it ought to be hand in glove. It ought to work together from the time we open the service until the time we close it. There ought to, we ought to be able to look back and see how the hand of God was working in that service. If we just pick just the songs we like, that's not going to happen. We have to be sensitive to the will of the Holy Ghost. Um, glorify God, reach the lost. What was, what was another one? Somebody said it. Edify. To edify the saved. We want to build our brothers and sisters up, right? And so this is, and, and this, I've, I've watched God do this so many times during the song service. 
that, that that's when the Lord really starts ministering to the saved. To, to the sinners sometimes, um, now it, I've, I've watched it get a hold of sinners as well, but many times it's that song service that's really going to reach that saint that's struggling and it's going to minister to them. Now, sometimes they need a good cry. Sometimes it's what they need, but sometimes they feel like crying and what they really need is a good shout. Because if you're not careful, they can get to wallowing in self-pity. And I'm going to tell you, when people do that, they end up backsliding. They get to the place they feel so sorry for themselves, they can't ever pick themselves back up. And so it's not always about crying. And it's not always about shouting. But there's got to be a balance here, and only the Spirit knows what the proper balance is. Because it's going to depend on who's present, who's not present, all right? So to edify the saved, and then the fourth one, to contribute to the work of God. That is the fourth thing, and we're going to talk about these very quickly here. Very quickly, I want to go over this uh, for you. So I pointed out Tuesday night that every service should always begin with prayer. This is why we have pre-service prayer. I, I said it, I know work schedules, sometimes it's hard during midweek to get here by 7 o'clock. I know that. I understand that. And, and far be it from me to try to make you feel bad when you're doing your best. Um, now, some get off in plenty of time to be here by 7 and still don't make it. I do want you to feel bad. <laughs> I do want you to do something about that, all right? I, 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 I want you to understand the importance of that prayer time. If we're going to ask others to come, and we talked about it Tuesday night, the importance of that prayer time is that we are breaking up the fallow ground of our hearts. We're getting our hearts ready to receive the word of God. And listen, as worship leaders, as singers, as musicians, we are playing a very vital role in what's going on in that service. And if we haven't broken up the fallow ground of our hearts, it's going to be hard for God to move through us the way he needs to. And so this is why it is so vitally important. If you're going to be singing, you're going to be playing. Of course, uh, Brother Hilton has, has gotten it to where, you know, we start practicing 15 minutes before prayer starts, and that's good. Um, but, but under every circumstance, not just when you are leading the service, but because you get on this platform, that makes you a leader in the service. Not just on the nights you're leading. Not just on the nights that you're singing. In fact, I'm going to tell you, people pay attention. And if, if, if the nights that you're up here, whether you're a praise singer or, or the service leader, if those are the only times that you're really getting in the service, they're going to know it. We really, you know, Jesus gave us what we call the golden rule that, that we should, should do to others as we would that they would do to us, right? And when we are not up here leading, we are not up here singing, we're not up here playing the instrument, you need to be responding to whoever is the way you want people to respond when it's you. Because people will watch. And I've, I've seen it, and I, I'm telling you to the, to the preachers that are here, um, let me just tell you, I've, I've, seen, I've seen saints rightfully get very frustrated. And I myself have gotten frustrated when, when a preacher just sets during the service. And then when he's introduced, all of a sudden it's 90 miles an hour and everybody's got to be behind him and everybody's got to be on their feet. But he has done nothing up until that point. That's a frustrating thing for people to witness. We have got to remember whether we are the ones leading or not 
that we are leaders. And sometimes we lead from the pew. All right? Sometimes we lead from the pew. In fact, I would dare say we become more effective behind the pulpit if we learn to lead from the pew. If people recognize that when you're not leading, you're worshiping just as much, if not more, then they're going to do the same thing when you are leading or you're singing with the, uh, the praise singers or whatever. So remember that. And then contributing to the work is part. So, so we want to start with prayer. We talked about that. I'm sorry. We, we, we want to start with prayer. It's important that you prepare your heart so that God can use you as he needs to. We got to clear out the thorns just like anybody else. In fact, probably more so than anybody else. It's important that we take that time to pray. And then after prayer, once prayer is finished, it's time then for our worship and our praise. And uh, we talked about it, that our praise creates a habitation in which God is pleased to dwell. Um, and this is where we really need to be examples when it comes worship time. But let me say this to our service leaders. Be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. Be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. You've got your songs. You've got your list. We want to stay with those as much as we can, but there are just times. There are times when I've prepared a message and stepped to the pulpit and God said, no, we're going a different direction. And I felt my message strong before church started. And then all of a sudden, God says, no, go a different direction. And we've got to be sensitive enough. Sometimes God does that to test our sensitivity and to test our obedience. And so sometimes we've got to be willing to say, forget the song that's on my list. I'm going to do what I feel like the Holy Ghost wants me to do. But again, be sure it's the Holy Ghost. All right? Another thing that I want you to be sensitive to the Spirit. But, but when in doubt, when in doubt, look to your pastor. When you're not sure what to do, give me a glance. And uh, I'll do my best to help you to know. Sometimes... And, and, and I, I, again, I don't ever want us to quench the spirit, but, but, but listen to me. It's possible for us to sing the glory down and keep singing till we sing the glory out. And I've watched it happen. I mean, the Holy Ghost is moving. Things are rocking. But we just keep singing because we're waiting on that explosion. We can feel it coming. We think if we'll keep singing, it'll happen. But listen to me, sometimes the singing is not where the explosion is to take place. Sometimes the singing just lights the fuse. And God's waiting for the explosion to happen during the preaching. But if you sing it down and then sing it out, then the preacher's got to try to pick it up and get it back. So be careful, be sensitive. If, if, if you're singing and things are going great and you start to sing it again and it begins to die, don't feel like I got to keep singing to pick it up. It may be that God's trying to give you a signal. Step out of the way. I want to do something else right now. And this is why I say, if in doubt, look at me. If you're not sure what to do, look at me. And, and some of you have. In fact, some of you have stepped over and said, well, I'm not sure what to do at this point. And, and that's great. I'm going to tell you, I don't ever feel bad about somebody doing that. Because that gives me the opportunity. There, there are times that I have felt like if I could just get to the pulpit right now, or if the preacher could just get to the pulpit right now, it's setting on go. But by the time he finally gets to the pulpit, we got a red light. And then we got to try to rebuild the momentum 
try to do something to pick it back up. So we want to be careful about that. Um, And again, I don't ever want us to quench the spirit, but a good rule of thumb, a good rule of thumb for our service leaders is try not to prolong the song service beyond about 30 minutes. Now that's a rule of thumb. That's not hard and fast. And there's sometimes, and, and you know, we've all seen when the Holy Ghost just keeps moving and that's as far as we get and that is where the explosion happens. And we don't want to shut that down. But I'm just telling you, a good rule of thumb is about 30 minutes. Is here's what happens. If, if I've got, if let's say a Sunday morning, you know I'm going to teach an hour and a half on Sunday morning. And, and I really sometimes have had to cut way short on what I wanted to do. But sometimes it's because the pre-service went much longer. There are times that I haven't gotten the floor until almost 11 o'clock. It's been nearly an hour. And, and so this, and I'm not, I'm not rebuking anybody. Most of you haven't heard me teach these things, so that's, that's why we're doing this. This is, this is instruction, not rebuke. Um, just trying to help you to understand. A good rule of thumb, if, if it's Sunday morning, somewhere around 1030, it's, it's about time to turn it to me. Sunday night, we start at 6, somewhere around 6.30. We ought to be looking to get the preacher on the floor. Um, Tuesday night, somewhere around 8 o'clock, get the preacher to the floor. Uh, and that really is, is the latest on a Tuesday night. Um, now again, I don't want you quenching this. Does everybody understand me? I don't want you to quench the Holy Ghost. I don't want you to be so worried that I'm going to come up here and pull your coattail. And, and, oh, you're going too long, you're going too long. That's not going to happen, especially if the Holy Ghost is moving. Let it move. But just keep an eye on it. And, and if it's not exploding, don't keep pushing it. You know, th- this is something that I've, I've explained to some of the men that have gone with me in Africa, um, to Africa. In the doctrinal conferences, I, I, I've had... In fact, I I hope he doesn't mind me using him as an example. Um, But Brother Hilton, the first time he went with me, uh, I had him teach the lesson you all heard at Truth Conference um, about truth versus tradition, Noah's Ark, and wise men and all that. And I felt like he did a phenomenal job. And um, first time that that he went over there, I, I felt like he did a phenomenal job. And after... Uh, that day's session was over. I, 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 I told him, I said, man, that was great. He said, well, I don't feel like it was very good. And I said, well, why? And he said, I just, there just wasn't that much response from the people. And so I explained to him, I hope you don't mind me using you for an example, but I, I, I explained to him, I said, look, do you know the difference between a home run and a grand slam? There is a difference. If, if for those of you that have never played baseball or don't know anything about the game, there is a big difference between a home run and a grand slam. A man hits a home run, he, that means he's hit the ball far enough that he can run all the bases and he scores a point for making it all the way around first, second, third base and back to home without them putting him out. That's a home run. And he scores a point. And everybody's cheering at for, for him because that's a great thing to be able to do. But a grand slam is more than that. A grand slam requires a team effort. The only way that a person can, can have a grand slam is if the bases are loaded. That means that somebody has to hit just a single. And they got to get to first base. And the next man's got to hit a single so he can get to first and the other guy can get to second. And the next guy's got to hit a single. So you got one on first, one on second, one on third, and then the next man comes in and when he hits a home run, 
They don't score one point. They score four points. But that was only done through a team effort. Now, if you've got a guy that every time he gets up to bat, all he ever wants to do is hit a home run, he's looking for stardom. He's not interested in the team. And we've got to be careful that in leading the service, in doing what we're doing, that we don't get this Lone Ranger mindset that I'm going to make sure we have a move of God tonight. Sometimes all God wants you to do is load the bases and let the preacher knock the ball out of the park. If you hit a home run in song service and the preacher fouls out or he even just hits a single or a double or a triple, the service becomes anticlimactic. You understand? And what's the main focus of the service? The preaching, not the singing. Everything's got to be trying to point toward the preaching because the preaching is pointing toward the altar call. And so we don't want this huge explosion Unless, of course, that's where God wants it to explode. And I've seen it explode in the song service and God fill people with the Holy Ghost. Uh, I, I remember one time at Brother McLean's, I think we had eight people receive the Holy Ghost before it ever got to the preaching. And, and so there are times when that's when the explosion's going to go off. And if that's the case, I'm telling you, hit it as hard as you can hit it. Knock it out of the park, all right? If that's what God's wanting for the service but just be sensitive to God and don't get this attitude and idea that you have to knock it out of the park every time. Sometimes you just need to load the bases or just get on base. Just set the stage for the preaching of the word. That's the important thing. Be careful, be careful, be careful. Um, Remember, remember, glorify God, reach the lost, edify the saved, contribute to the work in that order. In that order. Don't forget. Now, let me, let me throw something else in here because this is something we didn't um, really deal with in the service outline per se because we went from the worship time straight into uh, contributing to the work. Um, I don't know who first came up with the idea uh, of, of taking some time during the service to greet those that are there. I like the idea. I, I don't know who originated it. I like it. All right? I'm, I'm glad when we do that. I want us to, to, to do that when, when we have people here. Um, I think it's good for them to feel welcomed. Too many times people slip in unnoticed and they slip out before service is over and nobody gets a chance to speak to them. And, and I know that's their own doing, but, but taking those few moments sometimes in a service to just say, hey, let's greet everybody, it gives us a chance for that one that slipped in late, we still get to go shake their hand. And so I think it's a great idea and, and I like it. Let me just, how many of you, how many of you have heard me say, Words mean things. How many of you heard me say that? Words mean things. Four of you? Five of you? My wife hears me say it all the time. Words mean things. Listen to me. Several years ago, several years ago, and, and I know some of you have not ever heard me talk about this. And so again, please, don't take any of this as rebuke. It's instruction. It's not rebuke. All right? But several years ago, I, I told the church, I said, I want us to quit calling people visitors. Now, it caught on. We had a man with us at the time that was going around trying to help churches get up, uh, or get, get, get people to come to church or whatever, and he heard it, and he just spread it all across the nation. But, but this was something that I felt very strongly, 
And I told the church, I said, I don't want us calling people visitors. You know, a Jehovah's Witness that knocks on my door is a visitor at my house. A 20-year-old Mormon elder is a visitor at my house. But on Saturday, you all are not going to be visitors at my house. You are our guests. Right? And, and you know, there's just something about being a guest. You're treated differently. You feel differently. A, a guest is a person that is being granted an honor. You're honoring someone to call them your guest. And so I asked the church, let's, let's quit, let's get away from the word visitor. A visitor can be wanted or unwanted. But a guest is specifically wanted in that place and that situation. And so let's, let's refer to them as guests. We welcome our guests. We are so glad to have our guests with us. And let's, let's make it a habit to use that terminology when we're greeting them. All right? Um, now, we, uh, which that's along that same line, I really am getting close to being done here. But, but along that same line, when it comes time, to, uh, time for the offering, again, words mean things. Words mean things. Let's... Let's get away from saying we're going to take an offering. When you take something from somebody, sometimes it is because they want you to take it and sometimes they don't want you to take it. Again, it can be wanted or unwanted, the word take. But the word receive has a different connotation. Now, God loves a cheerful giver, right? So if they are cheerfully giving, then we're going to receive what they give. But I can come and put a gun to your head and say, I'm going to take your money. You're not receiving money at that point. You're taking money, all right? So, so when it's offering time, let's be careful that we don't take an offering. Let's receive an offering. The, the other thing is, please, please, please don't forget that we're not just receiving offerings. We're receiving something else. Everybody's clueless, evidently, because I'm not hearing anybody even guess. Tithes. We're not just receiving offerings. So be careful when you lead the service that you don't say, okay, we're going to take the offering tonight. No, we're going to receive tithes and offerings. Look, I had a friend of mine several years ago told me, he said, I have been shocked. He said, I've been making it a point every service I say something about tithing. And he said, the tithing has increased unbelievably. It's just crazy what is, is, is not discussed is easily forgotten. And so when we ask for the ushers to come, we don't want to just receive an offering. We want to receive tithes and offerings. All right? I sure don't want anybody to think they can't give their tithes that night. Uh, if you knew how tight it's been around here on the budget, you'd understand. And uh, so we want people to give. And again, you know, it's, it's good for you to be the example. Be an example. And you don't have to do it when you're leading the service. You know that I try... I said this the other night, I try to have something to give every single service. I try to do that. It's just, and this is a fact, Brother Hilton's been handling the books and he can, 
verifying. I'm not whining or complaining. But I'm just telling you, there's many, 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 many weeks that I don't receive a salary at all. And uh, in fact, I've gone sometimes entire months without receiving a salary from the church. Um, and when that happens, I don't have anything to give. But I do my best to always try to give something every service. That's just me. I'm not asking you to do the same thing. But that's just me. Now, what I do is when I figure out what offering I'm going to give, I mean, I know it's just probably meaningless to everybody else, but but I'll take that and whatever it's going to be, if it's going to be $75 that I'm giving, then I'll say, all right, we got three services this week and I'm going to give 25 Sunday morning, 25 Sunday night, 25 Tuesday night. I'll, I'll break it up based on the services. I give the same amount, but the people see me giving and I think that's important as a leader that they see me giving. And uh, the same thing with my tithing. My tithing doesn't stay here in the church. I send my tithes to my pastor. And, and that's, that's something I believe in. And the ministers that have come out of this church, it's something I've taught them. Tithing is an act of submission. And their tithing goes to their pastor. And I, I mail tithing checks to my pastor. But I do want the church to know that I pay my tithes. And so every Sunday morning, you'll see that yellow envelope. It really does have my tithes in it. Uh, somebody was counting the offering one day and had opened it up. And they came to me and said, there was really a check in there. I said, yes, there's a check in there. I really am paying my tithes. Um, I guess they thought I was just putting an empty envelope in. But no, I'm really paying my tithes. And uh, now I take that. It doesn't get deposited here into the church. It, but I do want the church to see me paying my tithe. And I think that's important. And of course, if you're a leader in the church, you sure better be paying your tithes. Because if not, you're a thief. And you don't need to be in leadership. So um, I, I trust that all of you are doing that. But when you receive an offering, please remember, we're going to receive our tithes and offering. All right? Or offerings, plural, whatever. But put that word tithes in there so that we don't forget about that. All right? Um, I think that, that we... we I'll, I'll meet with just the ministers at some point. We'll go over... Some things, in fact, I sent out uh, some months ago some, some guidelines as far as preaching. We've, we've covered all of that. But let's, let's get very quickly here to the altar call and then I'm going to be done. But, but with this, this altar call, this is such a crucial aspect of the service. Now, up until the preaching, the preaching, when the preaching goes forth, that is at that moment the most important thing that's happened in that service. But when the preaching's done, the most important thing is how people respond to that preaching. And, and, and let me tell you, um, to the preachers, there is, there is a real gift in knowing when to make that altar call. Don't be so bound to your notes that you can't just stop and say, now's the time. When you feel, you know, it's, it's like a fisherman. There's a certain time for you to set that hook. You know what I'm talking about? You, you feel that nibble. You've got to set the hook if you're going to reel the fish in. And, and there's got to be a time when in the spirit you feel it and you say, now's the time. Set the hook and give the altar call. Because again, I've seen preachers preach conviction on a person and then continue to preach it off. You just gotta, you gotta know when to do it. Now, to our singers and our musicians, you need to be sensitive to the Spirit in, in choosing the song that's gonna complement, can I say it this way, the Spirit of the message. Some of you have heard me talk about, we had a musician some 
years back, very talented, extremely talented, but he did not have a clue when it came to altar call. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anybody so clueless. And I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just being honest. He would literally just sit and listen to my messages until he heard some word or phrase that reminded him of a song. And then that's the song he would sing. And, and, and so, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, if, if, if I'm up here preaching, preaching victory and faith and, and uh, uh, you know, I, I may be down, but I'm not out. And, 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 and I'm telling you, devil, just as I am, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to, and he hears the words just as I am. And I'm trying to get everybody on their feet and he would come and start playing just as I am. And I'm saying, what are you doing? I've just tried to get everybody full of faith, full of victory, and you're playing this slow funeral dirge. And and then other times when I'm trying to bring people to a point of consecration and, and, and I'm saying, look, you may think you're saved, but you've got to have the Holy Ghost. And, and, and I'm pleading and, 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 and maybe even in tears and, and then now come to the music and he would come and start playing, uh, um, you gotta have the Holy Ghost and the fire that, and I'm saying, what? no, this is consecration. This is conviction, but he never could get it. He just couldn't. It was all about the words that he heard me say, and he would lock in at that moment, some song that used those words. And then that's what he'd play. Didn't matter if it matched where the service was or not. And I'm telling you, it destroyed everything that I had tried to accomplish. And so it's crucial. I, I've, I've told people, in fact, I told him, my wife, I feel like so blessed. Uh, the years that, that um, through, the, through all these years that we've been married, when, when I've preached, I could call her to the organ and I'm telling you, she just knew what to play. She just, she just knew. She, she, could, she could just tune right in to the spirit of what I was trying to accomplish. And if it was victory and faith, she had a song ready. And if it was weeping and dedication and conviction, she had a song ready. And she always just was able to just tap in to the right song at the right time and it so complimented the message. I finally told that individual, I said, when you're on your way to the organ, stop by her pew and ask her what to play. I did. I, I told him, I said, I'm sorry, but you're, you're, you, you don't seem to comprehend what's really happening. So go ask her. And she'll give you a suggestion. And uh, that, that helped quite a bit. Um, Try to find the spirit of what's being preached. Figure out, is this positive? Is it uplifting? Is it upbeat? Is it, is it conviction? Is it correction? Is it dedication? Is it just instruction that night and something, you know, mid-tempo would, would, would be fine. Uh, just some instruction that night. Um, but find the spirit of the message and let the altar call complement the message. Now, I'm going to tell you, and I know with, with, with our younger people doing a lot of the music that, that sometimes this becomes more challenging, but, but we have to remember that sometimes using a song that is unfamiliar to the congregation, it may match the spirit of the service, but it may also bring confusion to the crowd because they don't really know the song and then they start focusing more on, hmm, I've never heard this song before, rather than focusing on, man, I need to get to the altar right now. So be careful about choosing songs that, that are unfamiliar at altar call. Now, I, I know of one man that, that when he would conduct revivals, he'd meet with the music team 
And one of the things that he would tell them is, during that altar call, don't change the song. You say, I don't care if we're in the altar for an hour, you don't change the song. He said a change of songs can, can throw people off. So he went, now I don't, I'm not that firm on it, but I'm just telling you the way he felt about it. But I am telling you that we've got to be careful. We don't want distractions, right? We don't want distractions. Um, so try to find a song that's not going to create a distraction. Um, and, and then again, I want you all to be leaders during altar call. If you're not, whether, whether you were on the platform that night or not on the platform that night, when it's altar call time, if you're not up here singing and playing, please be a leader when it comes to the altar call part. Get down here, pray, seek God, help others, look for others. You know, there, there's always times that, that we feel a particular call for prayer and consecration at the end of a service, but that shouldn't, as I said the other night, should not be every service. And really, we, we ought to take care of those things pre-service the majority of the time so that when altar call comes, we might be the first to come to the altar, but we've also got our spiritual feelers out. And if there's anybody that's praying in these altars, if there is a sinner in these altars, please don't get so consumed with your own problems that you leave a sinner kneeling at an altar. I had a woman we'd worked on for years, and I'm closing. I had a woman that, that I worked on for years, and we finally got her to start coming to church, and I'll never forget the night she came to the altar, and I got down there to pray with her, and, and I started praying for a few minutes, and, and in a little while she lifted up her head, and she looked around, and everybody in the church was sitting there watching me pray with her. And she, she made the comment to me. She said, I'm sorry. I realize that I'm holding everybody up. We never got her back to church again because she got the impression nobody had time to pray with her and that she was a burden on the church by being in the altar that night. I don't ever want that to be the case. I don't ever want that to be the case. We need to pray with them. If there is a sinner in the altar, if there's somebody, you know, it's not, it's not a secret. We see people start missing a lot of church. We see people that are not really worshiping. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out they're struggling spiritually. You see them in the altar, you know what you ought to do? Get down there and help them pray. Pray with them. Encourage them. Spend time there. Ask God to... to my pastor used to pray, Lord, make my eyes rivers of tears. Weep over them. Let them know they are important and that praying with them is not a waste of our time. We get in too big of a hurry sometimes to just get done. We, we come down and we 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, we're done. It's over. And there may be people really wanting to try to touch God at that, at that moment. And if everybody else is done, they feel the pressure to quit. So let's be sensitive. Now, I, some other night, and I don't, I don't have time tonight, but some other night, I'll, which the whole church needs to go through, I'll go through praying in the altar because I think there's, a, there's, there's some things we need to know about praying with people in the altar as well and helping them and encouraging them and what we need to do there, uh, once they are in the altar, the things we should and shouldn't do uh, to help them. We'll go through all of that later on. But it is important that people at least know that we care about what they're going through and that we want to help them in their walk with God. As leaders, we ought to be doing our best to pray every day to stay on fire for God so that we are ready to help others when the altar call comes. All right? All right, God bless you. I've kept you longer than I planned. Um, but 
This is earlier than Tuesday night. Um, maybe I should see if there's any questions. Does anybody have any questions that you don't mind asking publicly? If, if you don't want to ask it publicly and want to catch me privately, that's fine. Uh, but sometimes if one person's thinking it, there's more than one that's wondering the same thing. Yes, sir. It's a very good question, and I appreciate you asking. I want the least distraction possible. And, and so there may be a time, you know, there are times when, when people are praying and, and I've motioned for you or others come up and help us sing, but, but not every service. At that moment of altar call, and, and um, you might notice those that are playing generally will sit over here uh, on that side so that at altar call, they can just come without having to go walk around the church to, to get up here. We just don't want distractions. Um, I know Brother Jaheim plays the drums. Brother Albritton plays. Brother Hilton plays. Brother Goff's playing some. As far as drums, we don't have to have drums during the altar call. That's not crucial. Now, if we've started praying, um, I may motion for a drummer to come. But again, what we need is the bare minimum. I want just as few as possible to come and play and sing because we just don't want a lot of distraction. Um, we want to keep people focused on what's happening at that moment. Um, so, good question. Thank you. Anything else? All minds clear or so muddy you don't know where to start? <laughs> All right. God bless you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, and don't forget, Saturday, 2 to 6 at our house, my wife's team will be cleaning this weekend. And we will see you Saturday and then again Sunday morning, Sunday night. God bless you.